Romans chapter 4. We have some newer people here with us tonight. Thank you for coming. I'll try and do my best in a very short amount of time to catch everybody up to speed. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 1, Paul introduces himself, kind of gets right into the subject of sin and how bad sin is and how terrible it is and uh, the progression of sin at the end of Romans chapter 1 and how, again, it just continues to wax worse and worse. Romans chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore, because of that sin, thou art inexcusable, O man. And so he just continues to walk through that. Um, uh, gets down into uh, the Jews and the Gentiles into chapter 2 and the difference or the lack of difference therein. And then he says in chapter 3 and verse 1, one advantage then hath the Jew or what profit is there of circumcision? If, if Jews and Gentiles are the same, why is there such a big deal about Jews? And so he begins to walk through that. And then in verse 10, he continues to hit sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, you are all completely under sin. Verse 23, very famous, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verse 31 is kind of the transitional verse in my opinion. Verse 31, the Bible says, do we then make void the law through faith? Because faith has entered is the law that was written by Moses is that void. God forbid. Yea, we established the law, so grace or faith came in order to establish the law. And that's what all of chapter 4 is now walking through. And he's using Abraham as an example. And so we're going to spend a lot of time studying Abraham again tonight with the intent of trying to understand how he is the father, not just of the Jews, but the father of faith. The father of faith. And this is important as we walk through because he was called the father of many nations. So I want to read to you. We're going to begin in verse, actually let's look at verse 17. Romans chapter 4 and verse 17. The Bible says, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Verse 18. Who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith giving glory to God, verse 21, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started into this this evening. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you so much for the homegoing of Miss June Hamilton. The pleasure that it was to reminisce about her life. Father, I pray that you would again, once again, challenge us with our lives. Challenge us with the thoughts and the intents of our heart. Father, I pray that your word would be that sword that would pierce even the dividing asunder. And Father, would show us those things that would split us wide open, that again, we would begin to look at our hearts and our lives and say, do we truly understand who you are? Do we truly know you? Do we truly trust you? Father, I pray that as Abraham was an example, Father, we would follow in that example of trusting you. We love you. Thank you so much for dying on the cross for our sins that we might have hope. 
and eternal life. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I look at these verses, the, just the four or five verses that we read tonight, I genuinely believe that most of us cannot identify with these set of verses. And you say, well, hang on a second. I thought we could identify with all the Bible. I genuinely believe we cannot identify with these set of verses. We have no idea of this first part of this verse. I want you to see in Romans chapter 4 and verse 18, against hope, believed in hope. Okay, so I I just want you to focus in on that. Who against hope, believed in hope. I honestly believe that most of us cannot identify with this beginning passage. And I say that because most of us, if we're honest, are just quitters. Okay, hold on, don't get too offended yet. Okay, most of us are just quitters. In our minds, if we're looking at something that God has called us to, and we look at it, and we think in our minds, I can't figure it out. I can't get around it. What we end up doing is oftentimes we cast it off as impossible, and we give up on it. Now again, most of us would never say this out loud. Most of us would never put ourselves in this position, but hopefully you'll hear me out. Sometimes we think, I don't know how it's going to all work out, or why it's going to work out, and so we just throw in the towel. I'm just not sure. I can't see the end of it, and so I give up. In fact, we hear all kinds of stories about underdogs, right? I love March Madness for that particular reason. It's the story of the underdog, the, the Cinderella story, all of these different things of, of, of wonderful opportunities coming. And we all love a good underdog story. But these underdogs don't have any talent. These underdogs don't have any good ability. They're not tall. They can't dribble a basketball. But the story of them is that they work hard. Their work ethic is more and their, their persistence is more. And they eventually, what happens is, they come out on top. Their hard work pays off. Their persistence pays off and they come out on top. But again, the reality is this. Most people don't want to put in the time or the effort or the trust to see it through to the finish. I look at um, some of the best basketball players ever to play the game. I look at them and I'm like, man, how did they get so good? Well, first of all, they had a little bit of talent. But if I'm not mistaken, somebody maybe can correct me afterwards, but I believe Michael Jordan's brother was actually better at basketball than he was, talent-wise. But here's the deal. Michael Jordan put in the time. He put in the effort. He put in the work and the persistence involved to get better and better and better and better and better. Same about Kobe Bryant. Same about about LeBron James. And so all of these things, they put in the work, the effort, and now they are the elite. They are the best basketball players of all time. And there are others, I'm sure. But really, in the amount of people that are in the NBA, as compared to the amount of the people that are in the world, three, four, maybe, maybe ten really stand out above all the rest. Because they were willing to put in the time, the effort, the trust that the process would work out to the finish. For most of us, when things are, again, against hope, what do we do? 
We don't believe in hope. We stop believing in hope. It just looks grim. The outlook doesn't look like it's going to happen. I just can't see the end. I just don't know how it's going to work. That's usually when we throw our hands up in the air and say, well, I'm not moving again because I can't see the end. But I want you to notice today in Romans chapter 4 and verse 18 that this is the lesson that we can learn from faithful or full of faith, Abraham. I want you to notice who again so believed in hope. What was the hope? What was the hope that he believed in? Notice here that he might become the father of many nations. What was his hope? His hope was simply that he might become the father of many nations. Okay, so you look at this, and you and I, I think, as I look across the room, all of us know this story, right? We've, we've heard this story from the time we were in, in grade school, Sunday school, maybe even JK. We've heard this story, Abraham believed God, Abraham believed God, Abraham believed God, and we just go, big deal. And that's the problem sometimes with, with the Bible, is we hear it so often sometimes that we just become dull to it. But the reality is, this is in the Bible more than one time for a particular reason. God, or Paul in this particular instance, God through Paul, is showing us an example. An example of Abraham. So Abraham, against hope, believed in hope, what? That he might become the father of many nations. So this brings us back to Genesis chapter 13. You're going to want to keep your finger there in Romans chapter 4. We're going to be coming back, back and forth. Genesis chapter 13. Find a piece of paper. Put a piece of paper in one. Turn to the other and keep moving that paper back and forth because we're going to move a lot here. I want you to see Abraham's logic. And hopefully this will begin to um, identify with you. Genesis chapter 13, look with me in verse 14. Genesis chapter 13 and verse 14, the Bible says this, And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him. Okay, so Lot and Abram have a falling out. They basically pick away. You go one way and I'll go the other. And when that happens, God comes to him. And says, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it, and notice, to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth. This is important, okay? So I'm going to give you this land, and I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if that a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Verse 17, arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. And Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. So I want you to notice in verse, in chapter 13 here, that God is making a promise to Abram about his seed. You're going to have great seed. You're going to have a great number of children. You're going to have all of these, uh, this lineage. So Abraham is promised land. And by the way, if you haven't picked up on it yet, that's why it's called the promised land. 
Okay, does anybody pick up on that, all right? This is why the Bible carries these things through. The promised land that Israel was to come into, the promised land that we just sang about, is a picture of coming into heaven. The children of Israel are coming back to the promised land because it was promised to Abram here. So he's promised land and seed, important. Now, chapter 14, Abraham goes out and he demolishes the four kings that took Sodom and Gomorrah. And I want you to notice, again, we won't necessarily read it, but at the end, at the end of chapter 4, the king of Sodom comes out to meet Abram. And he says, I want to give you a reward for going to kill those guys and bring back all the spoil back to Sodom and Gomorrah. I want to thank you for that. And you know what Abraham does? He refuses. No, no, no. God will bless me. I will take nothing of any man, only take something from God. That's how really chapter 14 finishes. But I want you to notice chapter 15 and verse 1. The Bible says, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. See how it correlates. Sodom, the king of Sodom wanted to give him a reward, and he said, no, the Lord will give it to me, and God says, you are my exceeding great reward. But look at verse 2. Look at his perspective. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? What wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? Why is he saying this? Because back in chapter 13, he was promised seed. And in chapter 14, he does something great for the Lord, and he wants to be rewarded of the Lord, which is, by the way, that's a great thing. I'm not trying to diminish that. If we want our rewards, our rewards ought to come from God, not from man. If, they come, if we desire the praise of man, we have our reward. We ought to want our rewards from God. And so, so Abram's saying, basically, hey, God, I'm calling you on this. You promised me seed, now where is this seed? And he says, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in mine house is mine heir. So at this point in time, Eliezer, his servant, would be his only heir. So is this, is Eliezer my the person who's going to be my seed? Is he the one who's going to have the promise fulfilled through? So basically he's saying, okay, God, what are you going to give me? It's time to make good on your promise. How is this going to work out? Is Eliezer going to be my seed? I'm childless. We need to figure, out, figure this out. Basically saying, time's a-wasting, God. Let's get moving on this thing. Okay, so now maybe you felt like this before. Have you ever been in a position where you're like, okay, God, time is a-wasting. We got to do something about this. It's coming to a point where it's becoming very difficult. It's, it's, I feel like it's getting to a point where it's hitting critical mass, where something has to change. Something's got to give. We got to do something now. And you still don't have an answer from God. Have you been there? Have you been there? It's completely okay for us to walk through the options with God, okay? I want you to make sure of that. It's okay for us to make suggestions to God. Hey, God, this Eliezer's in my house. Is, is that my heir? I've got this option, and God, I've got this option, and I've got this option, and I've got this option. Which way do you want me to go? 
Listen, that's an okay thing. That's an okay thing to walk through with God and say, God, here are my options. Which one is it going to be? And that's the way Abraham's looking. So again, this kind of resonates with us a little more. Okay, so here are my options. However, what am I supposed to do? And while this is completely okay and completely part of our lives and part of our prayer lives, I believe this, we must be open and willing to listen to what God wants us to do. It's easy for us to say, God, here are my three or four or however many options, pick one. Isn't it? Because that's all we can see. And God will say, no, 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 no. I don't want any of those ones. I want you to take this one over here. And there, our minds get blown by that sometimes. Well, that wasn't, that wasn't in the picture, God. That wasn't what I thought would happen. And so this over here, that's, that's what you want me to do? Again, I want you to notice verse 4. Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him saying, this shall not be thine heir. Okay, God, here's my option. And God says, no, no, not that one. Then he says, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. So you see, see how this is becoming to be a little bit more interesting to me anyway. Maybe, maybe to you guys it's not. But the reality is this. God, Abraham had options. But he was quickly running out of options. Is this guy going to be the seed? And God says, no. Someone out of your own bowels is going to be your seed. Most of you have been Christians for a long time. Have you ever noticed that God does things differently than we do? <laughs> we sure wish he wouldn't, though, right? I'm just going to be honest. I sure wish he wouldn't. I sure wish he'd do things exactly the way that I want him to do it. Because it makes sense to me. Right? But you're all sitting there going, well, Pastor Jones is nuts. Why would he ever do that? Listen, every single one of us thinks differently. Every single one of us thinks that one decision that is made is ridiculous, and the other decision that we would make, somebody else thinks is ridiculous. That's why we've all got to put our faith and trust in the Lord. So God does things differently. Abraham's direct seed, directly from his own bowels, would be as the stars of heaven. Again, if you'll notice in chapter 15 and verse 5, at the end he says, so shall thy seed be. And I want you to notice here in this passage, it says, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Okay, so this is the hope. This is the hope that he is having, the hope that he might become the father of many nations, the hope that in God's promise that his seed would be as the sand of the seashore and as the stars of the sky. So we might sit here in 2022 and think, oh, that's wonderful. He heard God, God speak audibly and God gave him a promise and he heard directly from God that he was going to have seed as the sands of the sea and of the stars of heaven. What's the big deal with that? Why is that so hard to believe? I mean, if I heard a voice from God, I would do it. 
right? We all think that way, don't we? Oh, if God, if I heard an audible voice from God and he told me, this is what I promise you, if you will just have faith in me, then I will bring it to pass. We'd be all like, oh, that'd be great, perfect, no problem. But I want you to notice verse 19. The Bible says this, and he being not, I want you to notice this word, weak. Verse 19 of Romans chapter 4, I'm sorry. Romans chapter 4 and verse 19. The Bible says, and being not weak in the faith, or weak in faith. Now, I know the story of Abraham. I've read it time and time and time and time and time again. And there were times where Abraham was weak in faith. There were times when he's like, ah, this isn't going to work out very well. So how was he not weak in faith? Look at the Bible answers the question for us. Look, and he being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now. I want you to notice this word, dead. Okay, so we see he was not weak in the faith, and he considered not his own body now dead. But I skipped two words that are very important. I want you to notice not and not. Okay, so he was not weak, and he considered his body not dead. Okay, these are very important things. Notice, when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. This is where we really begin to open up the, the, the can of worms, so to speak, where we begin to open up and see down in the heart of Abraham and see what it was that he had such great faith. So go to Genesis chapter 17. Just kind of walking through. Just for continuity's sake, chapter 16. He's promised a child, right? And he's 86 years old in chapter 16. And guess what happens? Sarah says, hey, why don't you go in unto my, my handmaid, Hagar, and you can have seed of me by her. Well, sweet, let's do that. Goes and does that. 86 years old when Ishmael was born. But I want you to notice chapter 17 and verse 15. The Bible says this, And God said unto Abram, as for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. Notice, and I will bless her, watch, and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Hello. So now God is including Sarah in this. Very, very important. She was the mother of nations, kings of people shall be of her. Watch, verse 17. Then Abraham fell upon his face and what? Laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is an hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? I want you to notice this is the exact same phraseology in Romans chapter 4 and verse 19. A hundred years old. 13 years after Ishmael was born, God comes to Abraham again and says, now you're going to have a child from Sarah. And what is his immediate reaction? Falls upon his face, not in worship to the Lord, 
but in laughter. Ha! Yeah, right. That's not going to happen. I want you to understand, physically, this was impossible. Physically, this was impossible. Let me try to be discreet, but blunt. Physically, those organs were dead. His body, now dead. There was no possibility of reproduction. None. In fact, if you'll go to chapter 18 with me, and look at verse 9. The Bible says this, and they, these men come in, remember, uh, to, to Abram's camp, and they said unto him, where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly, watch this now, return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. I love this. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased, notice, notice this, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. She physically could not have children. Therefore, Sarah, again, laughed. Within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. Verse 13. And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I have surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Verse 11, we see that it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. In verse 10, he says, And I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. Again, I hope I don't have to explain this too terribly much. It was physically impossible for Sarah and Abraham to come together and have a child. Physically impossible biologically impossible, scientifically impossible. Let me put it to you this way. Humanly speaking, there was no way that it was going to happen. So we sit here and we read these things and we say, what's the big deal? The reality is their bodies were literally in that area of life dead. Completely and utterly. And so he had hope. He was not weak in faith, considering not his own body now dead. Why? Because the promise of God in verse 10, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to make it happen. Is anything, verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? The time for children, for Sarah to have children, had literally ceased. She physically did not have the ability. But God said in verse 10, I'm going to reverse that. By the way, just because your first initial reaction to something that God tells you is laughter, <laughs> you're, not, you're not serious, right? Just because that's your first reaction doesn't mean you can't turn around and trust him still. Just because your first reaction is like, I'm not sure about that, doesn't mean that you can turn, can't turn around and trust him still. And this is what Abraham 
and Sarah do. I want you to notice in being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He trusted this. I want you to look at Romans chapter 4 and verse 20. I want you to notice these two words. He staggered not. He staggered not. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. I believe these two, these two phrases are tied. Staggered not in unbelief. Again, I think if we're honest with ourselves, the majority of what we do in faith is stagger. We stagger around Christianity. We stagger around our faith, especially in today's society. We stagger around. I've I don't know if I'd call it an opportunity, but I've had the, that's the word I'm going to use, the opportunity to be around some drunk family members before. Quite frankly, it's hilarious to watch them stagger around, not knowing where they are, literally out of their mind. And I look at that, and as a young kid, I remember thinking, man, I don't want any part of that. Can I draw a conclusion to our Christianity today? Many of us that say we have faith in the Lord, but we're staggering around. I'm just going to give the last two years, for instance. Again, I'm not trying to indoctrinate anybody as to where they stood. I'm just trying to ask, where did we stand with the Lord? Do we stand with the Lord? Do we trust Him in everything that we've done? I'm just saying as a whole, and myself included, there were many times where I was just looking out and thinking, there is no possible way this is ever going to go away. There is no possible way that we're going to get through this. There is no possible way. And quite frankly, I feared instead of having faith. And guess what happened? I'm staggering around like a drunken sailor, and everybody's looking at Christians saying, if that's what it is, I don't want to have any part of it. But not Abraham. Oh, we know he was human. And we know he had his moments of disbelief, like, is this really going to happen? But he immediately stood back up and was strong, strong in faith. Strong in faith. He remained strong. At least 13 years ago, God told him that he was going to have seed. And now... Here he is, 13, at least 13 years later, and he's still believing God. He was strong in faith. I don't want you to miss this, though. Look at this, look at this part, giving glory to God. Giving glory to God. I want you to notice this because at some point along the way, Abraham's life quit being about Abraham. Don't miss this, Okay? You can go back to sleep after this. Abraham's life somewhere along the way quit being about Abraham. And it quit being about what Abraham could accomplish. Let's look back at the life of Abraham. Abraham had accomplished quite a bit. 
he had trained his own servants to take on a, a huge army of trained soldiers and he beat them. He had great wealth and great riches and he had gone into other countries and met the kings of those countries. Oh, probably not very well, but he met them, talked to them was blessed by some of them. All of these different things go on and on. And Abraham had done some wonderful things. God had promised him some wonderful things. But somewhere along the way, this quit being about Abraham and what he could accomplish. And it started becoming, becoming to be what God could accomplish. And I think that's important in our lives as we look at our lives and we think, man, I want to accomplish something for the Lord. Listen, we need to quit thinking that way. And just say, God, what can you accomplish through me? God, this is, this is not about me. This is about you and your will being done. Father, if you have to stomp me out, so be it. Father, if you have to take my only son, so be it. Father, if you have to do this or that, Father, it doesn't matter what you have to do. I want to give glory to God. It stopped being about Abraham and what he could accomplish, and it became about God and what God could accomplish. Verse 21. The Bible says this, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. I want you to notice the word persuaded and perform. But I also want you to notice this word, fully and able. Abraham was fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. But what was he fully persuaded that what he had promised, what he had promised, he was able to to perform. Anybody know who he is? I guarantee you it's not Abraham. Don't forget this. Abraham was not able to perform this. Abraham was not even capable. There was no hard work don't miss this. There was no hard work. There was no persistence. There were no treatments. There were nothing that he could do to make this happen. And so what did he have to do? He had to throw his hands in the air and say, God, I can't. Physically impossible. I cannot do it. But you can. Abraham was fully persuaded that what God had promised he was able to perform. Let me ask you this evening, are you fully persuaded? Again, most of us don't ever make it to this point. Most of us don't ever make it to the point where we're fully persuaded. If I can illustrate, sometimes when we're getting ready to take the next step and we just can't see that next step. We just don't know what's there. We're not sure if God is going to be there or not. We know God's calling us to take that next step, but we're just not sure if that's what we should do and we're sitting back here hesitating. Right? Listen, when you are fully persuaded, what do you do? All your weight goes down. 
There's no hesitation. Fully persuaded. Let me ask you, are you fully persuaded tonight? Let me ask you this. Let me try to build you up to it here. Are you fully persuaded that what God promised about salvation through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that he is able to perform it? Are you fully persuaded of that? I am. I think everybody here, when we believe in salvation, we know Jesus Christ is our Savior. We're fully persuaded in that we've given our lives over to him. But let me ask you this. Are you fully persuaded that what God promised about making you more than a conqueror through him that loved us, that he is able to perform that? More than a conqueror. I'm talking about it doesn't matter if life or death or angels or principalities or powers or things present or things, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what comes into this world or what goes out of this world. It doesn't, come, doesn't matter who comes into our life or who goes out of our life. Do we believe that God has made us more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. Do we believe that? Are we fully persuaded of that? If we are, I think we would live differently. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Why? Because we're fully persuaded. Let me ask you this. Are you fully persuaded that what God has promised about reaping if we faint not that he is able to perform? I'm just going to be honest with you tonight. Can I do that? There's times in my life where I'm just like, man, this stinks. This is hard. This is difficult. I don't really want to do this anymore. And really, it's not even that big of a deal, right? But you just get in these mopey times. And you just think, all right, God said that we will reap if we faint not. Take the next step. Take the next step. Are you fully persuaded that you will reap if you faint not? Are we fully persuaded that what God promised about the church, that the gates of hell would not prevail against it? Do we believe that he's able to perform that? May I ask this question one last time. Are you fully persuaded that what God promised he is able also to perform. With this faith, Abraham had righteousness given to him. Many, many times I believe this. The problem is not that we don't trust God, but quite frankly, we don't know what he's promised. The kids years ago stood up here on the platform and they sang a song, You Can't Stand on Promises, if you don't know what they are. Quite frankly, most of us haven't spent any time in the Word of God to know what the promises are. We don't know what's going on in the world. We don't know what's going on around our hearts and our lives. And we need the Word of God to delve deep down inside of that and peel that thing apart and say, listen, this is the areas where you're doubting me. And let me show you a, a passage of Scripture. Let me show you a promise that you can stand on. Let me take you out of the miry clay and plant your feet firmly on a rock so that you can be fully persuaded. Listen. We know what God says about salvation, and we're solid on that, right? Why is it that we struggle in other areas of our life? Maybe it's because we just don't know what the promises of God are. 
with this faith again, Abraham had righteousness imputed unto him, verse 22. And therefore, because of that, it was imputed to him for righteousness. And because of this, and therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Here's the interesting thing about Abraham. Abraham didn't have the story of Abraham as an example. You realize that? You realize how blessed we are to have a book full of examples? I got stuff falling out everywhere here. A book full of them. A book full of examples of people who walked and lived and stepped and kept going by faith and faith and faith and faith. He didn't have the story of Abraham to reference like we do. He didn't have the story of David to reference like we do. He didn't have the story of Moses to reference like we do. He just simply, don't miss this, he just simply walked with God. He walked with God. Let me ask you again tonight, do you believe God? Do you believe God? Do you believe in hope when there is no evidence of hope? Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I can't see it, but I know it's there. Let me ask, what is it tonight you're struggling with? What is it tonight that you can't get over? What is it tonight that you're having a hard time wrapping your head around? I challenge you. Find out what God promises about it and latch on to that thing and be fully persuaded about it. Be fully persuaded. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for all you do for us. Father, it is our privilege to again, once again, spend some time here tonight studying your word. Father, I pray that this would be, would have been a help to many. Father, I know it's a help to me. It's been a great, great help to me. Father, help us not to stagger around in unbelief. Help us love you more each and every day. Help us to hold on to you each and every day. Father, no matter what comes or what goes in this world, help us to trust you Help us to live like our father Abraham, our father of faith. Father, I pray that when unbelief comes into our lives, Father, we would, as 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 tells us, we would cast that down because it exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We know, we are fully persuaded that you are able to perform that which you've promised. So I pray that we would cast those things down. Father, if there's one here tonight that doesn't know you as personal Savior, I pray that tonight would be the night they would know that and that you would open their eyes to the trust that they can have in you. And we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.